Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here we will have case-based conversation and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge, focusing on equine health. Welcome to our latest episode of our EquiConnect podcast brought to you by McKee Panel Equine Services. I'm your host, Karen Fell, and I've had the pleasure of working with today's guest out of our Uxbridge location since she began with us in October of last year. I would like to welcome Dr. Viviana Hernandez to the show. Welcome, Viviana. Hi, Karen. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for the invite. (laughs) Of course. In addition to being a veterinarian since 2012, Viviana is also an eventer, a trainer, and judge in Mexico, and has a strong interest in sports and preventative medicine. Viviana has been the team veterinarian since 2012 for the Del Castillo. I did a pretty good job. Uh, Almost. (laughs) It's Del Castillo. Oh, Del Castillo. Close. (laughs) Equestrian team providing emergency services, preventative medicine, nutrition, and lameness diagnosis and treatments for the team horses. A little bit of background about you there. So where did you grow up? I am from Mexico City. I'm a city girl. My family is from the northern part of the country, from Chihuahua. But all my life, I've been lucky enough to live in the same spot in Mexico City. If you know a little bit of Mexico City, it's one of the biggest cities in the world. We have everything there. A lot of traffic, a lot of pollution. (laughs) And also a lot of good stuff, a lot of museums and fun stuff to do there. (laughs) So this is your first Canadian winter. So we're partway through it now. How's it been so far? It's been great. I really like the snow. (laughs) I I love to slide in the snow. I've been looking forward to go skiing. I haven't had the opportunity, but I'm having a great time uh, some days. It depends on how cold is it and what I'm doing. Yes. Because my toes tend to froze, <laughs> but I really love it. Just right now it's snowing and I'm like, yeah, it's beautiful. It is really beautiful. And you're right. There's a lot of times, even as a Canadian, that I'll look outside and think, wow, it looks so beautiful. Those days when everything's covered in ice, it's stunning. And beautiful. it looks like glitter in the ground, like yes. so shiny, tiny diamonds. It's beautiful. <laughs> it just is then if you have to go out in it and maybe do something for a long time. That <laughs> That's when you say it's like, it's terrible. I want to go back to Mexico. And it's tropical between quotation marks, tropical weather. It's not tropical, but it's warmer than here. I yes, can assure that. Of course. Where did your interest of horses begin? Well, horses has been part of my life before I ever was in my mother's plan. My mom, it's a rider. My grandpa, was a rider. My father is a rider. So horses has been all around my life all the time. I remember seeing some pictures of me being a baby and already having the jacket of the team. Ah, it was just the most common thing in my life, horses. Mm -hmm. If you go to my family for a dinner, everyone is going to be talking about horses. (laughs) Everything is going to be horses. If you're not a horse person, you'll feel a little left out. Yeah. For example, when I started dating, Mm -hmm. the guys that I did needed to know a little bit about horses. Just imagine yourself being in a table surrounded by people talking about horses all the time and you knowing nothing. Mm -hmm. So that would be the ultimate test. The ultimate test, of course. That would be a next (laughs) level, really. Yeah. At least my husband really loves horses and he's a lot into horses. So 
that wasn't. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. What was it like growing up within a family of horse people? It was great. Well, if I have to be honest, mm-hmm. my mom will be more concerned about feeding the horses than feeding ourselves. <laughs> okay. Yes. I can go into my house and it's like, what is for dinner? Oh, just cereal. Well, and my mom's like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, there's, it's only 10 bales for the horses left. So I need to buy more and I need to buy some supplement for the horses. And we will be like, my sister and I like, mom, is there anything for eat? It's, just look for yourself. Go, go. <laughs> but I really enjoy growing up with horses. They make me be a really disciplined and empathic person. You know, horses, mm-hmm. when you spend a lot of time with something, you tend to absorb what the characteristics of what you are being with, like horses. Horses are really empathic and intelligent animals. So when you spend all your life surrounded by horses, you tend to be more empathic. You tend to be more sensitive. You tend to be more community, this type of feeling that you are always working in a community because horses are just like that. I totally agree. And I think it's different as well because they don't have words of communication as you would with a a friendship with a human being. So then you kind of look to all these other venues in your life and your world to really communicate and build this relationship with, with the horses. You become a really, really good reader of body language. Horses, they don't speak, as you say, mm-hmm. just start looking to all the body language. You know, when someone is stressed, you know, when someone is lying, you know, when someone is happy, you know, everything by just looking to the people you have in front of you. Mm-hmm. And that's something I, I learned about from horses. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about your family's role in the horse world? Because they have quite an active role. Yeah. My grandpa was part of the Olympic team at Mexico's Olympic in 1968. He competed in that Olympics. He was classified for the Pan American Games also. He was a trainer of the military team for a long time. And my mom, she was selected for the Moscow Olympics in the 80s. And also she was member of the Olympic team in Los Angeles 84. She also went to the Mullen uh, World Equestrian Championship in the 82. But again, my mom as a woman in this, I don't want to say macho situation, but again, it's it was breaking all the barriers because she was the only female in that team. And she was too young. She was 18 the first time she was elected for an Olympic. Oh, wow. She was young. so young. And she struggled with a lot of stuff. And at the end, she she is what she is after all that experience. She now has an equestrian team. She loved teaching youngsters and teenagers. I don't know why she loved teenagers, <laughs> <laughs> but she really loved working with teenagers and getting the best of them. She loved kids, but she's also like a grandma now. But <laughs> <laughs> she likes to get this new, because they're really trying to figure out what is going on with life, right? Absolutely. She works with them to get the best of them and become better citizens. Mm -hmm. With horses, she can teach them how to be the best. She's trying to help use the horses as part of them developing and to really become the best of themselves. Yes. And she also has created some educational programs for kids and youngsters. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, she loves to do that. Right now, she was almost getting into retirement, but when... I came here, she decided to go back and teach. So (laughs) 
she's back on the track. So she's happy doing horses. Wow. That's amazing. Definitely such a cool family background. Yeah. To, to and have. also my dad, he's from the army. He's from the chivalry. You know, Mexican chivalry is like the last one in the entire world that has competitive horses. I think the Italian also have some sport horses. Yeah. But my dad is a general and he's also all about horses. <laughs> but he's like the the tough one. He wants the tough emotions. And <laughs> my yes. mom is more conscious about technical situations. <laughs> <laughs> Such a huge uh, impact horses have had on your family and your, your whole life. Yeah. What has been a memorable moment in your life that has shaped your relationship with horses? Like, has there been any time that you've thought back thinking that this has really changed something in your life? I think when I started vet school, like I say, all this podcast, horses has been part of my life, all my life. <laughs> yes. And I always took them like my partners, like my team member. Mm -hmm. But when I started being also the vet and being more into what was going with them, made me realize that they were more like my family. Mm -hmm. It made me change completely everything. So I was more conscious about what was going on with them. I started to realize that something that sometimes you have problem with these horses that they're anxious or nervous, so they start to refuse some things or whatever. Mm -hmm. It can be pain related. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that of that until I started doing vet school. For me, knowing everything around horses, like the health, like how they behave, the medicine, put everything inside the context of being a sport horse. Mm -hmm. It gave me a bigger panorama about horses and about how we can influence in their lives. Yes. Because we don't spend so much time with horses as we do with dogs. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. But they're smarter than dogs. Yes, I think so. <laughs> they understand us better than we understand ourselves sometimes. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it happens to you, but it happened to me that I was having these really bad days, but I was being tough with myself, like I don't have anything. And yes. I go with my mare. And she was like, hey, 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 something's wrong with you. Yes. <laughs> what is going on? And I was like, okay, okay. I needed to look back and make this introspective mm -hmm. test in me, saying what is going on. Yeah. Reflect back on yourself. Yeah. That's happened to me in the past as well. I had one horse where if I was having a bad day, it took me a little bit to realize because then I, oh, I'm just going to have a ride. And then I would go and ride and it would be awful. I finally realized, you know what? This horse is teaching me, you know what? I need to just reflect on myself. So this is, maybe we do something different this day. Yeah. So that was for me a huge change in my life. Just mm -hmm. understanding what was really happening on horses, on my horse especially. Mm -hmm. But not only looking like the rider way of looking, but the doctor way of looking. Yeah. And putting everything all together. Yeah. Like you've obviously had a lot of experience, as you said, right from when you were little with horses, with your family being so involved with horses. And then, and having that, is that something you did and, and you loved and spent time with? And then adding the doctor element to it is really completing a, a very full picture. Yeah. How has horses shaped your life and really given you opportunities? Like I imagine having them so involved in your life. Well, it's easy as every time I try to do something different, I try to do wildlife medicine. I went to Africa and I found horses in the middle of Africa. <laughs> okay. Uh, I try to do some small animal clinic because uh, small animals, every time yes. you go to a party, everyone is like, oh, I have a dog, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try a small animal clinic. Yeah. It didn't last because I went back into horses. <laughs> My best experience in life 
has been because of horses. So I am so grateful about having horses in my life. Well, and it seems like every time you've kind of tried to go away from horses to try something different, something just... (laughs) It's like the toxic relationship. Don't go away. Come here. Come back. You need to stay here. And finally, you just gave in. You know what? I'll do horses. This is fine. Yeah. It's like, horses told me go there. Okay, I'm going. Horses (laughs) told me stay here. Okay, I'm staying. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) That's so neat, though, because there's a lot of opportunities that are different that arise in people's life because of horses. And it's neat because you can imagine if they weren't in your life, even though you always come back to them, how things could have been different. And why is it that you wanted to become a veterinarian? Well, the reality is that I didn't want to be a vet. That's right. I remember you telling me this. <laughs> I wanted to be this crazy lab person working with genetists. And oh, yeah, okay. I wanted to be uh, an engineer in genomic science. Mm-hmm. But for studying that in Mexico, when I was applying for that, I needed to apply first to one, any career inside the medical biologic branch. Mm-hmm. And I applied for vet school because it was like, the eh, I can do that for a couple of months and I cannot have any issues. Yeah, that seems to be what everybody thinks when they're applying to vet school. Oh, I could do that for <laughs> yeah. a couple of months. Yeah. yeah, it's just dogs. <laughs> yeah. And cats and horses. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I could do that for a couple yeah. of months. But I didn't realize that my mom is also a vet. She never worked as a vet. Okay. I didn't realize yeah, that she was a vet. my mom is also a vet. And when I entered the vet school, that is the same vet school my mom studied at. I was the only daughter of that generation that was studying vets. So there was a lot of people from my mom's generation being teachers at the school. And they realized I was a daughter of that generation. And they grabbed me by the hand and they took me to every part of vet school. Like, okay, I'm from horses. I'm going to teach about horses. And then someone else, I'm from pigs. I'm going to teach about pigs. And they really opened my eyes to what mm-hmm. vet school was, that I fell in love with it. I really fell in love with the career. I fell in love with the medicine. But like, I want to stay here. <laughs> I remember you'd mentioned this previously. Um, we had talked about this, how you were going to do the engineering and, and vet school wasn't really on your path. It just kind of happened like once again. Horses again. <laughs> Everyone has different stories about how or why they became a veterinarian and I thought that was really cool that uh, that that was yours. Yeah, it was just so fun that I just got my letter from the school that was approved that I I can go into vet school. And the first one that grabbed me by my hand is like who I love to call my sensei, Dr. Leon Ramirez. And he was like, come with me. And he took me with him to do this falling season situation. Okay, So I went to see babies. And I was like, oh, they're so cute. You know, foals, they're beautiful. Yes. And I was like, I want to do this. And then when we were coming back from this place of looking babies, he received a call, like emergency call. And it was like this weird situation inside a trailer of a horse that was going to Spain. So he needed to be ready to get into the plane. But the horse got tramped inside the, the trailer. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Terrible situation. But it was so exciting for me to to prepare this surgery room inside a trailer. And it was all the pressure. It was just like the movies. Mm-hmm. You know, this series, this doctor series in the TV, like ER and Grey's Anatomy. Yes, But yes. instead of being human, it was horses and in, on the field. So it was so like, yes, I want to do this. <laughs> so that's it. I really fell in love with the career and everything surrounding vet medicine. 
Can you tell us anything more about your veterinarian education? I love my school. I think it was the best years of my life. It was so much fun. I I know everyone says that it's hard and it's a lot of studying, but when you love what you're doing, it doesn't feel like that. Mm -hmm. It was so easy going for me because it was like, oh, it's a horse. I love horses. Oh, it's a cat. I love cats. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, no. (laughs) I will not say that now. After a lot of bites and scratches, I will say like, yeah, I like cats. (laughs) It's different. Yeah, it's different different after practicing medicine on them. Also, I had the opportunity to do a lot of practice. That's a good thing about my Mm -hmm. school that we have practice on hand work since the beginning of the education, like the Mm -hmm. first semester. And I'm a person that learns not by looking, but by doing. Yes. And that was so much fun all the time going to the ranch and doing the practices, even for this terrible lecture. Okay. So there was this awful lecture for just, I don't know if you have that type of lectures here in Canada, but we have this class of just grass, different types of grass. (laughs) Just imagine how fun was that. Even though it's terrible. It was fun because we went to this ranch in the middle of nowhere just to cut grass and to see the quality of the grass and trying to distinguish between different type of grasses. <laughs> Making the most out of a grassy yes. situation. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I, I like to say that I, I was a lot more positive during my school years. <laughs> Especially being hands-on. I feel like a lot of people are very hands-on learners. So that's incredible that just right, right away that you're able to start on that. Yeah, it was a lot of hands-on all the time. Uh, At least once a week, we had a practice. Oh, wow, that's great. Any type of practice, anatomy, morphology, tissular biology, whatever. It can be a lab, it can be a ranch, it can be a hospital. And also, you know, this is a funny fact about my school. We pay 50 cents of Mexican peso a year. It's less than five cents of dollar. Oh, to go to school? Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah, it's it's almost free. Oh, my goodness. Like for your vet school, you mean? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I had no idea. And it's one of the best schools in the world. So <laughs> I'm a little mind blown right now. It'll take me a minute to get over this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. You, you have the choice of giving a little bit more if you want. That's something like I did because I know that Paying for vet school in any other part of the world would be too expensive. Right. And I am really grateful for what my university gave to me. I'm grateful for everything they gave to us. You can have the best lab. You can have the the ranch that you have. There's a ranch for cattle. There's a ranch for sheep. There's a ranch for goats. There's a ranch for horses. So you have like a lot of places to go and practice and you only pay some sense. It's ridiculous. It sounds like they've really set up a great system to bring along veterinarians there. Yeah. (laughs) Now, what parts of veterinary medicine do you enjoy the most? I love sports medicine. I really love being an, an athlete myself, being a writer for all my life, having experienced by firsthand these real top athlete horses. I think sports medicine is the base of the sport. If you don't have a healthy horse, you're not going to be the best one on your class. And it's also, for so many years, it was so laid behind, like, oh, it's a lameness. Just give them some butyrbenamine. Right, yes. 
But I think now we have the choice of doing so different therapies like laser, shockwave, mm-hmm. even the kinesio taping, everything. You can do a lot of stuff. If you go and see a sport medicine in humans, mm-hmm. you see how they really believe, the trainers really believe in the sport medicine, like the physiotherapy. Absolutely. Why not applying that in horses? Yep. I think you raise a really good point. And I think what you mentioned as well, you being an athlete and competing in this, you realize how important things are for you and how important things are for the horses and then can really apply that to your veterinary medicine every day. And applying on myself. You yes. know, I learned how to put the tense therapy in the horses and now I applied it on me. I'm yes. walking because I know how to put it on a horse and I apply the same knowledge on myself. Yes. And the same happens when I have a spring ankle and mm-hmm. I put the kinesio taping on myself and then I saw this horse having hock issues. I can put the kinesio taping also in the horse trying to resemble the same situation I did on myself. So I really think that sports medicine should be more considered in the world. People should believe more in the value of having a physiotherapist and a vet as part of the team in a equine team. Absolutely. Yeah. Like it's all different kind of perspectives and different tools that everybody brings. Same with yourself. A, a human athlete would have all of these people as part of their team. Yes. They're competing at. Yeah. And they really trust in the physiotherapy. Yes. And also in the massage girl, they believe more. Yes. If they feel something, they're going to tell to a trainer and the trainer is going to work on that to make you be a better at, to have a better performance. Mm-hmm. I think we should do that. And I, that's something I really like about this clinic, about being in Mackie Pownell, mm-hmm. because they really believe in this correlation between trainer, rider, horse, vet, and all of us it makes a complete team. Absolutely. And it makes the horse and the rider have the best performance. Mm-hmm. So why not? Absolutely. I think we're blessed to be able to provide all these additional services and opportunities for our clients and our patients. And I totally agree that the full picture approach is really important. Now, on the opposite side, what keeps you up at night as a veterinarian? Oh, my God. There are some cases that, that really keep me up at night. Sometimes you say like, hmm. You know, you saw a horse and you say, this can be this. But then you go back to your house or even when you're driving, you know, this reflection time where you're driving yes. <laughs> in the middle of a snowstorm. <laughs> <laughs> Going extra slow because yeah, it's your like, first snowstorm. Really slow, like grandma <laughs> driving. And you start like thinking about what can also be a cause of the horse showing whatever is showing. And then you start this brain that is a big engine and it's like clack 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 and you start thinking about another possible diagnosis Mm -hmm. and you know vets we are the worst critics with ourselves all the time and it's like maybe I should do this maybe I should say that and for me when you have this weird lingness situation where you can just find exactly what is going on with the horse that caused me a lot of issues during nighttime and mm-hmm. I start reading and I start thinking and I start making these mental maps about what can be, what can it be, how to work it, how to talk to the owner and try to make a program for the horse to be more sound or more healthy or how to take back this horse to the training level he was before or she was before getting into the injury. And I'm just like thinking about everything from the start of what is going on till the 
end part. This is how I want the horse to be at the end of mm-hmm. all my treatment. You on average sleep about two hours a night, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The reality is that I, I sleep an hour, <laughs> two, <laughs> like real deep sleep. <laughs> I always thought that my best thinking time was in the evenings as well, like overnight or early, early mornings before or in the anything shower. in the shower. <laughs> I used to think that as well as um, mucking out in a barn, like when you're just in a barn, yeah. no one else is there, or maybe there's someone else there. A smelling that's... horse manure. Yes. Just using all your force of your arms to lift everything. That's the most deep part of the of the day. That's when you can think about everything, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you just have this like open mind because you're like just doing kind of your basics. And that really was my best thinking time. So I, I understand for sure. You brought up a, a good point there as well. What does a successful client-patient interaction look like for you? Communication and trust. If you don't trust your vet, how are you expecting everything is going to flow? Mm -hmm. If you start making a lot of questions, I don't have any issues if they question me. I like to be questioned. Of course. But if you start like saying, why did you do this treatment? I read in Google that this treatment doesn't work. And you know... Dr. Google. <laughs> yes, I'm not Dr. going Google. to say anything about Dr. Google. <laughs> but if you as a client doesn't trust what your vet is saying and what the vet is trying to make you understand, you're not going to give the treatment to the horse. You're going to try to look for another treatment. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to be disciplined in giving the treatment and giving whatever the doctor asks you to do. Mm-hmm. And as you as a vet, if you don't trust the client, You're going to be overthinking everything Mm -hmm. and you're going to be like, okay, maybe he didn't give the the treatment. Maybe I was in the wrong diagnosis. So this part of the trust is the main part. But again, if you want to have trust, you need to communicate. Absolutely. All the time. And I liked your point as well that you're you're never opposed to someone asking questions. You want people to ask questions so that they they understand what's going on and realize the importance of what you're saying too. I think that was a really good point you had as well to really impact the communication and to really help with the treatment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe they have a doubt. I forgot to give the tablets at the morning and I gave it two hours after. And they, is there any issues? No, you can explain why the pharmacokinetics can work. Why not? Blah, blah, blah. But again, if you don't have that type of confidence with your vet or the vet having that confidence with the client, how do you expect to have a result? Definitely. That's a really, really good point. So you've been here for a couple months now. Have you noticed any differences in practicing veterinary medicine in Ontario versus in Mexico? Yes. And I love my country. I love my people. I miss them. But the reality is that people still look at horses as machines, as something disposable back at my home. Not all of them, but there's a lot of them that look like, oh, I have enough money to buy another horse. If this gun got broken, I can buy another one. Okay. And for me, that's terrible. And I haven't found that here. Like people really think that they need to take care of the horses and they look at horses as a family member Mm -hmm. because they spend a lot more time. You know, they do the chores inside the barn. They go and buy the food for the horse and everything. Back in Mexico, we have grooms for everything. Okay. We are so pampered. I know. But we don't spend that type of like all that additional caregiving time is yeah. really the responsibility of someone else. And you don't realize, I know for myself, that's quite a lot of bonding time that you have in actually being the caregiver, the primary caregiver for your horse. 
You know how they express love in nature horses between themselves? By aloe cleaning. They clean themselves. Like they scratch the other one's back. Oh, okay, yes. And they're like these tiny bites in the neck and the back and they clean. Oh, you have some dirt here and you have some thing here. That type of behavior, mm-hmm. the one we can correlate with the human and horses is when you groom them. When you're brushing them, they're saying, hey, he loves me or she loves me because she, She's cleaning me. And in Mexico, because we have grooms, we don't have that type of situation where we can really bond with the horses because there's someone else doing that. So the only time we really bond with horses is when we are riding. Yeah, physically on the horse. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I found that horses here are really more well-behaved than the horses I handled back at home. How interesting. And mostly because they are handled by girls that are the same riders. Okay. You don't want to be bad with your horse because you know he's going to be bad with you when you're riding. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You don't need to be smart to realize that. But when you have a groom, you don't know how he's behaving with your horse. I see. Yes. I didn't realize that would be very different. Mm. And also, people here believe more in vets. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what I found here in Ontario, in Canada, is that people really believes and they trust and they know that veterinarians are professional that has been trained for a long time and they know what they are doing Mm -hmm. and they appreciate what we are. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's been great. I'm glad that it's going well for you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I feel like we've gotten to know you a bit better. So I thought we could maybe delve into just a bit of a case that you have. So there was an interesting case that you wanted to talk about. And with it being the beginning of the year, what great timing to talk about a foal. So could you tell us what happened in this case? Okay, a foal that really made me put everything under perspective was my own foal, my mare. A little bit of background. I was studying. I was feeling my vet school and I needed to do my social service and I needed to be one year apart from my house. So For that, I got this mare and I decided, why not? Let's have a baby. (laughs) Why not? Why not? (laughs) So I decided that my mare was going to have a foal. And during her pregnancy, there was a lot of up and down. Uh, One of the, my mare was crazy. She was six years old, thoroughbred. She wanted just to be living the crazy life. Yes, of course. In her prime. Yes. (laughs) I'm pregnant. Why not? I think she was like 10 months pregnant when she decided to jump the fence and canter around the the ranch and she slipped and she fractured her skull. Oh my goodness. So I needed to send her back to Mexico City. And you know, when you're studying and you're having a lot of issues, you you don't realize how much stress that can be. Yes. She spent a month and a half back at Mexico City and I sent her back to the ranch. A week after she arrived to the ranch, the baby was born. Okay. And mm-hmm. what happened? She was early and she was born with some flexural limb deformities. Okay. Instead mm-hmm. of, you have two types of flexural limb deformities. The first one is the hyperextension and the other one is the hyperflexion. Okay. You normally see the hyperflexion and that's the most worrisome one. Mm-hmm. But in this case, because she was early, mm-hmm. what I had was an hyperextension of the mm-hmm. joint. What is this? this? All the soft tissues surrounding the joint. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of laxity. There are two lax. Okay, they're too like loose. A lot like, of like a lot loose, of movement. Yeah, yeah. In this case, my mare, her fetlocks were in the ground. 
completely underground. Okay. And she was having some skin issues because of that. And oh, like rubbing. Like yeah, rubbing there was a lot of rubbing that. because okay. she was so, so lax that all the, the fetlocks were always on the ground. Okay. So it was the hoofs and the fetlocks on the ground. Oh, wow. Yeah. There were some people saying that I need to put her down because she wasn't going to be able to walk. And Well, confirmationally, you're looking at the foal thinking, you know, you want it to to look good now so that it will grow up to be an athlete later. Yes. Yeah. I had a lot of expectation on that mare. So it can be multifactorial. It can be congenital that something happened during the pregnancy or there's some issues with the mare. Mm-hmm. Or it can be acquired, mm-hmm. diet, infectious, or an, an injury. In her case, it was congenital. Something happened during the pregnancy, like mm-hmm. all the stress surrounding the school fracture of the mom. and Jumping the fence. Yeah, and, just yes. being crazy youngster, trying to live the best of her life. Yes. Not realizing she was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> In this case, because of tendon laxity, I needed to be more careful about how to handle it. Mm-hmm. You need to distinguish between if it's an extensor contracture or a laxity of the flexor tendon. In her case, it was a laxity. So it's easily treated mm-hmm. if you are over the horse all the time, over the foal. Mm-hmm. The reality is that the treatment was adding more calcium to the diet. In my case, I had the opportunity to have really, really good quality alfalfa. Okay. Alfalfa is rich in calcium. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay. So I added alfalfa to the diet of the mom, mm-hmm. of the mare, and control exercise. Mm-hmm. So she only was able to walk around the small paddock with the mom. And I needed to use these really soft and light bandages. We don't cast that type of folds because it can cause more damage than what it's going to help. Mm-hmm. So you just put it like tiny socks. And you know, oh, like okay. school socks, the white ones that go yes. over the knees. I bought that. And I put them on her because it was easier to put. Okay. So she was using her socks. And after a month, she was perfect. But it was a lot of work for the first month of her life. You can also add some anti-inflammatories or Mm painkillers. But in her case, it wasn't needed. It was just adding calcium to the diet. That's it. That's incredible to go from that her fetlocks were, they were so loose that they could be right on the ground to within a, a month or a month after to be looking good that's amazing it's amazing because after that i have pictures of her being a baby with those fetlocks on the ground because she was walking on the fetlocks and i left her doing 120 classes in mexico she's a show jumper oh wow and she's like the craziest mare ever well she's just like the mom (laughs) just like her mom yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness that's amazing and um for our listeners here why is tendon laxicity on new foals, such a large concern? Mostly because they can get injured. All the rubbing on the fetlock or the joint can cause more deformities or also can cause joint infections if they get really, really rubbed. You know, babies, the skin is so tender, so mm-hmm. the skin is so thin. It's like paper thin. Mm-hmm. So it can easily get complicated. And there's a study showing that thoroughbreds if they present flexural limb deformities, mm-hmm. 50 to 80% of them can become good athletes later on in their lives. Mm-hmm. But you need to be careful about how they handle at the beginning of the stage. If they are like too lax, mm-hmm. they can have also some, well, the baby bones they are too elastic. Mm-hmm. So you don't want them to have a cast because people saw that they are lax and they put cast on them. Mm-hmm. 
And instead of helping, they're making them more lax with a lot more tendon laxity. Mm -hmm. And it also can harm the bone structures inside the legs. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so you're saying you put the cast on to help them stay more upright because they're they're loose. But really, the cast is then interfering or could interfere with the bone. Then also, oh, so that would be, that's tough. What happened with falls? They need to stand up really quick. Yes. And what happened when they started standing up? They started exercise. And when you exercise, everything gets more like tough. Yeah. You get more strength. And if you put a cast on that already lax tendon, you're not getting the strength you need. So later on in the life of the horse, you're going to have more issues, rupture, tendon ruptures, angular deformities. Mm-hmm. So you need to be really careful how you handle at the beginning of the case. Well, and it sounds like if you're really, it's a, a lot of work at the beginning, but if you're really strict about how you go about treating with it and you're saying the horse now or when you left was a, a meter 20 <laughs> jumper, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, I try to figure out how many feet are that. I don't use feet. I use metric system. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, a really great case. Thank you for sharing with us. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. And it's been really great getting to uh, to know you better. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, I wish everyone understand my English, Spanish, whatever I talk. <laughs> and I'm really grateful for the opportunity McNee Pownell has given to me. Uh, it's a lifetime opportunity. And well, let enjoy everything and the snow, especially. <laughs> yes. No, thank you. We're, we're happy to have you as a part of our team. So thank you very much. To our listeners, this is actually my last podcast for the year as I'm heading off on maternity leave. You can still get your dose of our EquiConnect podcast with some new hosts that are joining our podcasting team. So stay tuned. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship.